This is the Behind the Line Podcast, coming to you from the wacky left coast capital of Seattle. News from the Pacific Northwest, the left coast, the U.S., and the world that matters. The stories the MSM won't talk about. Deciphering the truth through all the lies. For more, visit BehindTheLinePodcast.com. Well, there is some hope for the state of Washington today. Washington Governor Jay Inslee has announced he will not seek re-election for serving three terms as governor. After serving three terms as governor, the 72-year-old's announcement clears the way for younger members of the party to run, most notably Attorney General Bob Ferguson, old sideshow Bob, who has gained national profile by challenging the travel ban and other policies of former President Donald Trump. As governor, I have seen my role as aspiring our state ever forward and ever higher, Inslee said. I'm gratified to be able to say that this approach has worked to improve Washingtonians' lives in many ways and many places. Well, how's that, governor? Taxes are higher. Unemployment is higher. You shut down businesses and schools during COVID. You've got shortages in state services with manpower because of your vaccine requirement. Crime is higher than it's ever been. And you violate our rights every chance you get. So please tell me how you've improved life in the state of Washington. Dude's a fucking joke. Let's hope We can somehow get somebody more reasonable in the governor's office on this next election. Not Bob Sideshow Ferguson. Well, Washington State, which just enacted a sweeping assault weapons van, recently uh, adopted a magazine ban, nothing more than 10 rounds. They passed a law that said you can sue firearms manufacturers if there's um, a mass shooting. Uh, I'm just all... We we are getting hammered with these firearms laws in Washington State. But this assault weapons ban was a big one. Well, now the state has been slapped with two lawsuits from gun rights advocacy groups after Democratic Governor Jay Inslee signed a ban on assault weapons into law. Inslee signed three gun control bills into law Tuesday. House Bill 1240 took effect immediately and banned the manufacturing and sale of many types, all types, of semi-automatic rifles to include a 50 caliber Barrett. During the bill signing Tuesday, Inslee said no one needs an AR-15. When asked if that would apply to the governor's protection detail, Inslee's communication director, Mike Falk, told the Ari Hoffman show on 570 KVI the law exempts law enforcement and the military because of their unique needs to be prepared for extreme contingencies. Well, the military doesn't carry AR-15s, dipshit. The governor was talking about daily civilian life. Well, look around Seattle and look at the crime. I I would uh, disagree with you, sir. And if I want to protect my home in a certain way, then I should be able to. And in fact, the Constitution allows me to do that. 
Inslee's office was slammed for the comment on social media with many users calling out the progressive governor for not understanding why the Second Amendment was adopted. Before the ink dried on Inslee's signature, the Second Amendment Foundation filed a lawsuit against the state on Tuesday. Second Amendment Foundation founder and executive vice president Alan Gottlieb said in a statement the state has enacted a flat prohibition on the manufacture, sale, import, and distribution of many types of firearms inaccurately labeled as assault weapons which are owned by millions of ordinary citizens across the country. In the process, the state has criminalized a common and important means of self-defense, the modern semi-automatic rifle. The state has put politics ahead of constitutional rights which is just normal for Washington, and is penalizing law-abiding citizens while this legislation does nothing to arrest and prosecute criminals who misuse firearms in defiance of all existing gun control laws. It is absurd. Yeah, we don't prosecute crimes in the state of Washington. In fact, we do our best to let everybody out of jail. Ahobian Klein, state director of the NRA ILA's lobbying in Washington State, told Fox News, After the group filed suit against the legislation, this new law is blatantly unconstitutional. The Supreme Court long ago ruled that states cannot ban firearms that are in common use. Klein said HB 1240 is the worst of such schemes in the country and bans nearly every modern semi-automatic rifle. AR-15-style firearms are the most popular rifles in America. In fact, AR-15s outsell America's most popular truck, the Ford F-150. And there are more privately owned AR-15-style firearms than subscribers to all daily newspapers nationwide combined, Klein added. It's outrageous that states continue to pass these unconstitutional bans, but rest assured the NRA will continue to fight each one, Klein continued. The people of Washington deserve better. The Silent Majority Foundation has also filed a lawsuit over the assault weapons ban, and like the other suits, the SMF is seeking a restraining order to temporarily halt enforcement of the ban. SMF filed its lawsuit in Grant County Superior Court and said in a statement, SMF received interest from potential plaintiffs around the state, but decided to bring the action in the county from which a majority of interested plaintiffs resided. The overreach of SHB 1240 was evidenced by the widespread interest from individual citizens who wished to challenge the prohibitions, as well as the outpouring of interest from firearms dealers, law enforcement, and military veterans, disabled individuals who will no longer be able to purchase accessories and parts to modify weapons they use for self-defense, and Democratic voters who think the state has gone too far under the auspices of public safety. The provisions of SHB 1240 will do nothing to curb crime and only impair the right of law-abiding citizens to continue purchasing the most commonly owned types of firearms in the country. Semi-automatic firearms have been in widespread use for more than a century and are as American as baseball and apple pie, they concluded. Even the far-left Puget Sound John Brown Club, John Brown Gun Club, which often allies with Antifa, is considering filing suit. In a statement, KUOW PSJBGC said, Gun laws are classic, classist and benefit those already in possession of firearms, which marginalized people are less likely to currently be among. 
while also being the least likely to be protected by law enforcement, if at all. Furthermore, the so-called assault weapons ban gives an exemption to the police, meaning that it is not truly a ban on assault weapons sales and transactions. Once again, the self-described progressive Washington state government has proven themselves to be the opposite of pacifists while they stand behind state-sanctioned violence. Inslee also signed two other pieces of gun control legislation on Tuesday, HB 1143 and Senate Bill 5078. HB 1143 mandates that all new gun owners take a safety and training course instructing how to properly store firearms and about Washington's self-defense laws, while Senate Bill 5078 gives Washington's Attorney General the authority to punish gun manufacturers for criminal misuse of their product. Washington Democrats have been constantly called out for enabling crime by supporting a revolving door justice system where prolific offenders are regularly released and passing legislation to reduce sentencing for offenders such as HB 1268, which would no longer subject criminals charged with multiple sentencing enhancements for firearms and deadly weapons to mandatory consecutive terms and eliminates sentencing enhancements for gang-related crimes. Unbelievable. The legislation also removes sentencing enhancements for drug dealing in protected zones, including schools. Democrats in the legislature and state government were silent during the deadly 2020 Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, which armed BLM and Antifa activists seized control of six blocks of Seattle. Many Seattle Democratic officials enabled the occupation and provided resources to the armed activists using taxpayer funds. Washington Democrats ignored a video of the so-called warlord of the autonomous zone, Raz Simone, giving out AR-15s to anyone who would stand a post in the occupation out of the trunk of his Tesla. According to the Washington Association of Sheriff and Police Chiefs annual report, from 2015 to 2021, murder has gone up 95%, aggravated assault has spiked 73%, violent crime has soared 55%, and rapes have increased 51%. Sound like, sounds like the Democrats are doing a great job running the state of Washington, doesn't it? Even liberal Illinois was going to pass a assault weapons van, ban similar to this. And it didn't, because they recognized that it was a violation of the Second Amendment and likely would not stand up in court. Washington doesn't seem to care at all about your constitutional rights. Or what the courts say, for that matter. They just want to do their own thing. And more evidence of lack of governance in the state of Washington when it comes to criminal behavior. No lack of it when it comes to going against law-abiding citizens. More cities across the state are planning to take matters into their own hands when it comes to drug possession laws. This comes after lawmakers in Olympia failed to pass meaningful drug possession legislation during the session. At this point, if a special session isn't called and lawmakers fail to act again, all drugs in the state of Washington would be decriminalized starting July 1st. This is because current legislation expires on June 30th. Some mayors are pushing for city ordinances that would make drug possession a gross misdemeanor and put some offenders behind bars. However, this could add more strain to already overcrowded jails like in Pierce County. 
Our jail is extremely short-staffed right now. We are minus at least 60 corrections deputies, said Sergeant Darren Moss of the Pierce County Sheriff's Department. And it's not just staffing shortages, Moss said right now. They're almost at full capacity. 97% of our people in our jail right now are violent felons, not just like fraud or burglary, violent crimes, Moss said. An alternative to jail time some mayors are also proposing is an option for treatment. Dr. Richard Reese, the head of the Addictions Division at Harborview Medical Center, said most people don't know what treatment really looks like and entails. Treatment doesn't just happen over a few 28 days or something like that. Treatment is ongoing because most people that this is going to affect don't have mild disease. They have more moderate to severe disease, Rice said. He also explained that there is still a lot of gaps in treatment services because many don't provide counseling or behavioral services, plus space is very limited. It's not just as simple as, well, go to jail or go to treatment. If there's no treatment to go to, it doesn't work very well, Rice said. When is the state going to get its act together? They don't want to prosecute criminals. They don't want to allow the police to do anything with criminals. And in the meantime, they want to limit the rights of law-abiding citizens. When are these jokers who call themselves politicians going to get their act together? Iran has won a court case against the United States in a UN court that found an asset freeze the U.S. has against Iran is illegal. More interestingly, Iran has been awarded compensation, although they did not specify an amount, and they gave the, both parties, the U.S. and the Iran, 24 months to come up with a compensation amount. And if at that time no amount has been found, then the U.N. court will basically accept whatever amount Iran asks for and tell the U.S. they have to pay it. I guess it'll be interesting to see if the U.S. adheres to this uh, global court's decision. The reference in the court decision is that the United States violated the Treaty of Friendship, Economic Relations, and Consular Rights, signed in Tehran on August 15th of 1955. More bad news for the U.S. dollar. The yuan has overtaken the dollar in Chinese cross-border payments. Data from China's State Administration of Foreign Exchange revealed that the Chinese yuan surpassed the United States dollar as the most used currency in China's cross-border transactions last month. Cross-border payments and receipts in yuan surged from the equivalent of $434.5 billion in February to a record $549.9 billion in March, according to calculation by SAFE. The Chinese currency was used in 48.4% of all cross-border transactions, reflecting a trend of shifting away from the dollar, as well as Beijing's efforts to promote the use of the yuan. Moreover, the share of the greenback in China's international settlements dropped from 48.6% in February to 46.7% in March. China has been attempting to steer clear of the U.S. dollar use and the efforts have sped up in international trade against the backdrop of sweeping sanctions imposed by Western nations against Russia, which is considered a major global energy producer and exporter. 
CNY also replaced USD as main trading currency in Russia, India, and Argentina. U.S. dollar has started to see its demise in China's international trading, but that is not the first instance that the yuan has taken over. Earlier in April, the CNY also replaced the USD as the main trading currency in Russia, India, and Argentina. Russian President Vladimir Putin suggested that the yuan should be used more widely, not only in trade with China, but also in Russia's transactions with countries in Africa and Latin America. The latest data from the Bank of Russia shows that the yuan has become a major player in Russia's foreign trade. According to Bloomberg, the CNY overpowered the USD in monthly trading volume in February for the first time, and the difference became more pronounced in March. Before the invasion, the yuan's trading volume on the Russian market was negligible. The additional sanctions affected the few banks in Russia that retained the ability to make cross-border transfers in dollars and other currencies of countries branded unfriendly by Putin's government. Russia has deepened its ties with China since the February 2022 invasion prompted a break in relations with the West. In March, Chinese President Xi Jinping made Moscow his first visit abroad after his re-election and promised the Kremlin expanded cooperation in the areas of trade, investment, supply chains, mega-projects, mega energy, and high technology. Moreover, Indian policymakers have taken steps toward shifting away from USD and resorted to rubles and rupees in doing trade with Moscow. According to Zamir Kabalov, director of Russia's Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the transition to national currencies is a fundamental decision while there is a need to maintain balance as the sales volume of Russian products to India is five times higher than that of India to Russia. How this decision is made will affect the Russian economy, increase the global process of de-dollarization, and impact Russia-India trade turnover. A mutual decision to refuse the USD and Euro trade with Russia is considered a necessary measure by New Delhi because conducting financial transactions with Russian companies and banks has become impossible or extremely difficult due to sanctions. In addition, it is financially risky for Russian exporters to keep proceeds received from sales in hard currency due to the risks of blocking. Meanwhile, China's push for greater use of CNY and bilateral trade agreements has made it to South America, with Argentina also starting to pay, start paying Chinese imports in yuan. Economy Minister Sergio Massa confirmed on Wednesday, April 26, that Argentina had activated the swap. Massa said Buenos Aires will pay 1.4 billion of Chinese imports in April in yuan instead of U.S. dollars. Not good for us on the international outlook. This BRICS thing that's happening that the media is not talking about with China, Russia, India, uh, some African countries, probably some South American countries. 70% of the world's population lives in the countries that they have invited to this BRICS agreement. And the U.S. is just ignoring it. Our economy is going down the hole and... Our administration seems more concerned about pronouns and sex change surgeries than economics. There is a reckoning coming, folks, I'm telling you. 
Oh yeah, and by the way, those sanctions on Russian oil that Europe is uh, sticking to, Europe just increased its imports of clean fuel from India. India just happens to import its oil from Russia. So, India is buying Russian oil, refining it into clean fuel, and selling it back to Europe at a markup. I guess this is how these sanctions work. It's all a game, folks, and this is what happens when you get yourself in a position where you're reliant on other countries to provide your basic needs. And even though we have a huge supply of fuel in the U.S., oil, and could supply not only ourselves, but Europe, we aren't touching it. Because they don't want us to have it. They want us on their green power and their electricity. Even though they want to eliminate a lot of the methods we use to create electricity. It's all rainbows and unicorns. As usual with Democrats. You'll own nothing and be happy. In his annual letter to shareholders, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon suggested that U.S. government and climate-conscious corporations may have to seize citizens' private property to enact climate initiatives while there is still time to stave off climate disasters. Dimon declared Tuesday that governments, businesses, and non-governmental organizations may need to invoke eminent domain in order to get the adequate investments fast enough for grid, solar, wind, and pipeline initiatives. Diamond declared Tuesday that government eminent domain is a legal term that describes the government using its power to expropriate private property for public use, provided the government provides private owners proper compensation. In his letter, which touted the successes of the financial services company in 2022, as well as providing shareholders a vision for its future, Diamond made the case that it might be time to justify imminent domain in America to ease the climate crisis. According to the CEO, such drastic measures may be employed because time is short. The window for action to avert the costliest impacts of global climate change is closing, he said, along with mentioning his concern that the ongoing war in Ukraine is roiling trade relations across Europe and Asia and redefining the way countries and companies plan for energy security. The need to provide energy affordably and reliably for today, as well as make the necessary investments to decarbonize for tomorrow, underscores the inextricable links between economic growth, energy security, and climate change. We need to do more, and we need to do so immediately, Diamond said. He then mentioned that governments, businesses, and non-governmental organizations need to align on policies to expedite climate solutions. Diamond added, massive global investment in clean energy technologies must be done and must continue to grow year over year. He floated imminent domain as one of these policies that could speed up building green infrastructure. At the same time, permitting reforms are desperately needed to allow investment to be done in any kind of timely way. 
We may even need to evoke eminent domain, Diamond stated. The CEO justified this potential government and corporate seizure of public property, saying that we simply are not getting the adequate investments fast enough for grid, solar, wind, and pipeline initiatives. Diamond concluded his letter statement on climate change, saying polarization, paralysis, and basic lack of analysis cannot keep us from addressing one of the most complex challenges of our time. Diverse stakeholders need to come together seeking the best answers through engagement around our common interest. Isn't it nice that these rich, out-of-touch, idiot, moron people want to decide what is best for you, where you should live, if you should have your house or not, and if they should be able to take your property to put up a wind farm or solar panel farm or whatever harebrained idea they come up with. Well, I'll tell you what, Jamie, why don't you go ahead and give up your house, give up your property for these uh, projects that you say are so needed. We have all the energy we need in this country right under our feet, but they won't touch it. And solar and wind are not going to cut it. They're not going to create the amount of electricity this country is going to need when we do away with LNG and we do away with gas-powered vehicles. It's just not going to happen. We don't, they don't, it just doesn't make enough energy to charge the cars, power all the homes and businesses that will need to be powered. Just another rich fruit loop deciding how you're going to live your life for you because we're just all the plebs and they're the special people that get to make the decisions for us, right? Well, as if America hasn't gotten weird enough, according to the New York Post, Body Integrity Identity Disorder, BIID, is now being labeled as transalbiism to better align it with the transgender community. The report goes on to point out the change in label would be from a diagnosable psychiatric condition to an advocacy term as moving from BID to transable allows people using the TWEM to harness the stunning cultural power of gender ideology and opening the door for doctors to amputate healthy limbs in an effort to treat patients. Yes, this condition is people who identify as disabled. BIID is defined by the National Library of Medicine as the extremely rare phenomenon of persons who desire the amputation of one or more healthy limbs or who desire a paralysis. They note that some of these persons mutilate themselves, others ask surgeons for amputation, or for the transection of their spinal cord. Just let that sink in for a minute. They continue that neurological results suggest that BIID is a brain disorder, no shit, producing a disruption of the body image for which parallels for stroke patients are known. According to WebND, there is a strong link to gender identity disorder. They state BIID is linked to chronic dysphoria, with those affected feeling like their bodies are not what they should be. 
In severe cases, people with BIID will go to extreme lengths to amputate or disable themselves without medical help. While BIID is still relatively rare, estimated to be several thousand people with the disease, many fear this is the next step after transgenderism has become widely accepted. A National Review report noted that as the public begins to embrace people who identify as transgender, the trans people within the disability movement are also seeking their due. Or at very least, a bit of understanding in a public that cannot fathom why anyone would want to be anything other than healthy and mobile. Yeah, no kidding. It is definitely a mental disorder. Jane Orient, the executive director of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, said, in my opinion, both transgender and transabled persons suffer from a delusional disorder. Isn't that some truth? And mutilating the body is an objective harm, even if it makes the patient subjectively feel better. Yes, that's right. We need to stop living on our emotions. Because this is what you get. People who want to be disabled. I don't even know what to say other than there is a lot of stupid people in this country. And continuing down this rabbit hole, on Saturday, the Colorado House of Representatives voted on HB 23-1135, a bill introduced to increase the severity of indecent, indecent exposure in front of a minor to a Class 6 felony. And 27 Democrats voted against the bill, with one saying she was concerned it would lead to the ban of drag shows. State Representative Leslie Herod said these types of laws have been used to ban drag shows to target individuals who use the restroom of the sex that they identify with, a public restroom, to charge them with felonies. I am very concerned about the attacks against the transgender community that are happening across the country. What attacks? The only attacks I've seen are transgender people attacking uh, straight people, kids, in schools specifically this stuff has gone too far folks these small minorities of freaks are deciding all these laws no man who identifies as a female should be in a public women's restroom period end of story no man who identifies as a female or boy, for that matter, should be in a girl's or women's restroom anywhere. These people are trying to normalize this sick behavior, this abuse of women. Rome is burning. You see it all around us, all this sick, perverted behavior that they're trying to normalize and force down our throats. If somebody wants to do this stuff on their own time, in the privacy of their own home, who cares? If you want to go out dressed up like that, go out on into town and go on a date with whoever you're going with, who cares? That's your decision. You want to go see a drag show 
in a business where they show those things, fine. That is fine. That is for adults and that is for adult decision making. It is not okay to put this crap in public libraries, public school systems. It's not okay to expose our children to it. That is for another time in life. That is for when they become adults. That is not for little kids. And this stuff that I see as a former police officer, as a former investigator, as a former child sex abuse investigator, this stuff that I see going on in schools and the way these men are dressed as women with the body parts exposed and everything else, they would, they would have gone to jail for that when I was a cop. That is indecent exposure. That is a crime. You don't expose children to that garbage. You look around and wonder why this country is in the state that it is. Why so much bad crap is happening. Why so many people have mental disorders or need to be on drugs to be normal. This is why. All this behavior that they're trying to normalize... All this crap the government's throwing at us. I mean, it's just time to move out to the mountains and isolate until these people burn themselves to the ground and we can start over. Because it's gonna happen. This can't last. This will all collapse. You cannot have a successful society built on top of immoral purposes, immoral principles, corruption. You can't. You might be able to prop it up for a while, but it's not going to last. It's going to fall apart. And this has nothing to do with religion. It's just basic mathematics when the patients run the hospital it's over just look around former rap artist Prakazarel Praz Mikkel was found guilty by a Washington DC federal court on Wednesday for colluding with the Chinese government to funnel tens of millions of dollars to former President Barack Obama's 2012 re-election campaign. Mikkel, founder of 90s rap group The Fugees, now faces up to 20 years in prison after the courts found him guilty of conspiracy to defraud the U.S., witness tampering, and acting as an unregistered agent of foreign government, Breitbart News reports. Malaysian businessman Zhao Lo and the Chinese government solicited Mikkel to funnel money to Obama's re-election bid because foreigners are not allowed to contribute to U.S. campaigns. According to court documents, Mikkel has taken tens of millions of dollars to lobby the U.S. government on behalf of the Chinese government. Federal prosecutors say that Mikkel received over $20 million from foreign Chinese national accounts, 
which were then passed off to 20 straw donors from June to November 2012, according to the Post. These donors then made the contributions to the Obama campaign in their names so the money could not be tracked back to Lowe. According to court documents, McKell was reportedly paid $70 million for his assistance to Lowe. Just more evidence that the whole system is corrupt. Every bit of this government, the processes, this country is corrupt. Once again, the U.S. is facing a shortage of drugs in this country. We had a shortage of antibiotics recently. We've had a shortage of children's cold medicine. Now we are looking at shortages of Adderall and a diabetic drug that is now being used for weight loss. And the articles I've read cite all kinds of things like supply chain and they don't really go into specifics. They just say there's a shortage because of uptick in use and whatever. What they fail to mention is the amount of our drugs that come from China and that China is probably just cutting us off based on things that are going on in the world right now. In 2019, China accounted for 95% of U.S. imports of ibuprofen, 91% of U.S. imports of hydrocortisone, 70% of U.S. imports of acetaminophen, 40-45% to of U.S. imports of penicillin, and 40% of U.S. imports of heparin, according to the Commerce Data Department data. In that same year, in a letter to health chiefs, Senate Finance Chairman Chuck Grassley cited reports claiming 80% of active pharmaceutical ingredients are produced overseas, mostly in China and India. In 2019, a, in a rare high-profile public comment, one former central bank advisor suggested that China could curb its exports of antibiotics to the United States as a trade war retaliation tool. What do you think is happening right now with these shortages? You're not being told about it. China is the world's largest exporter of raw materials for vitamins and antibiotics. A single factory in China makes the active pharmaceutical ingredient for a common blood pressure medicine Valsartan, that was found to contain a cancer-causing chemical that has been used to make liquid rocket fuel. Some of the companies on the FDA's warning list also benefit from generous state subsidies. In general, successive U.S. governments have railed against this sort of behavior from China, one of the driving forces behind the 17-month trade war back in 2019. Why do we continue to outsource all of this stuff we need in this country to other countries, especially enemy countries? This country needs to learn to be self-reliant again. Or maybe we're just beyond that. Maybe we're too far past that point for it to happen. But if you're on prescription medication 
And these things with China are ramping up, especially with Taiwan. If things go south in Taiwan, you're not going to be able to get medication, period. Even over-the-counter stuff. These over-the-counter painkillers. You better be prepared for that. You better stock up on what you can. You better figure out what to do about your prescriptions if you can't get them. Because I guarantee you, the way things are going with China, all they have to do is flip the switch and no more prescription medication in this country. No more over-the-counter painkillers or other common medicines that we use. This is a serious problem and people are ignoring it. And on the COVID front, politicians still believe they know more than doctors. This is from the Epoch Times. U.S. authorities rejected multiple people who sought compensation for COVID-19 vaccine injuries despite diagnoses from doctors, documents show. Letters from U.S. officials reviewed by the Epoch Times show officials contradicting doctors who treated patients as they turned down requests for payment. Cody Flint, an agricultural pilot, was diagnosed by four doctors with a severe adverse reaction to Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. Shortly after being vaccinated, Flint experienced intense head pressure, which led to problems such as paralithomatic fistula, the doctor said. Flint sent a slew of medical files, including evidence of the diagnoses, to the U.S. Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program, which compensates people who provide prove they were injured by a COVID-19 shot. But administrators for the program rejected Flint's application in a denial letter saying they did not find the requisite evidence that the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccination caused the conditions from which he suffers. Flint, in his 30s, felt his first symptoms within an hour of vaccination. An onslaught of severe symptoms followed while he was flying two days later. One second I went from having burning in the back of my neck and tunnel vision to the very next second I was slumped over in my airplane. The best way I know how to describe it, it was like a bomb went off inside my head, Flint said. CICP administrators told him that the compelling, reliable, and valid medical and scientific evidence does not support a casual association between the Pfizer vaccine and benign paramoxal positional vertigo paralymphatic fistulas, increased intracranial pressure, eustachian tube dysfunction, hearing loss, or loss of eyesight. They also tried to pin the problems on barotrauma, coloquinale, I can't even pronounce some of these words, known as airplane ear, barotrauma happens when an air pressure suddenly changes and is common as planes climb higher in the sky. Barotrauma causes the fistulas, and symptoms of the fistulas began while flying, administrators wrote. Flint and his doctors asserted in appeal letters that the barotrauma theory doesn't hold up because Flint flies low as he does crops. Flint's condition is not from barotrauma, Flint's doctors told the CICP. As an agricultural pilot, he does not fly more than a couple hundred feet off the ground, which is not of a magnitude to where he is at risk for barotrauma. Elevated intracranial pressure has been recognized as a complication of COVID-19 COVID vaccination, and given the sequence of events, more probable than not, it is the cause of Mr. Flint's elevated intracranial pressure, which has been documented on lumbar puncture, they added. 
The elevated intracranial pressure led to his paralymphatic vistula. Elevated intracranial pressure is a cause for par paralymphomatic vistula and more probable. The CICP determination was reviewed by a panel that sided with administrators. The panel found that the COVID-19 vaccine did not cause Mr. Flint to develop bilateral paralymphatic fistulas and related symptoms. Suman Air, an administrator, told Flint in a denial letter, there is no compelling casual connection between the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine and the symptomology Mr. Flint experienced. The more likely cause of Mr. Flint's symptoms is trauma from flying a plane, which would have developed over time. Administrators cited no studies or other evidence in their letters. case highlights how people who experience problems after vaccination have struggled to get money from the federal government even when doctors diagnose vaccine injuries. Flint is one of 76 people who were rejected as of April 1st because administrators determined they did not show that a covered serious physical injury was sustained as a result as a direct result of the administration of a COVID-19 vaccine. CICP may only make such determinations based on compelling, reliable, valid medical and scientific evidence, the program says. I guess doctors giving a diagnosis is not comp uh, compelling, reliable, valid medical evidence. More than 8,100 applications as of April 1st have been submitted to the CICP for compensation for a COVID-19 vaccine-induced injury or death. 362 in total have been turned down. Just 23 have been accepted. All but two are for a type of heart inflammation called myocarditis or related condition known as pericarditis, both of which U.S. authorities say are caused by the COVID-19 vaccination. Documents on the denials and acceptances have been largely withheld from the public. Freedom of Information Act requests successful in unearthing information about COVID-19 vaccine safety have yielded few documents. Administrators located 652 records in response to one request seeking all claims and associated documents. They only released 52 heavily redacted documents citing exceptions to FOIA. A similar request returned a single page that wasn't already public. The CICP has paid just $6 million to date, including under $5,000 total to the only three people who were injured by COVID-19 vaccines and have been compensated. This is such a joke. The amount of lies and corruption that our government and these government agencies put out there. It's just a joke. It's just ongoing in every facet of our lives when dealing with the government. Total corruption, total immorality, total clown show. What a joke. And here's more evidence of our lack of control at the border and lack of dealing with criminals and immigration and all these things we see on a daily basis. The suspect who shot and killed five people in Cleveland, Texas, including an eight-year-old child because the neighbor asked them to shoot his gun a little further away from their house 
is an illegal immigrant who has been deported from the United States multiple times, according to U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. An ICE spokesperson told Epoch Times that the suspect in the slaying Mexican national Francisco Oropesa was arrested and deported four times from the United States, most recently in July 2016. Oropesa was also convicted in Montgomery County, Texas in 2012 for driving while intoxicated and sentenced to time in jail. DHS Secretary Joke Alejandro Mayorkas wouldn't comment on Oropesa's immigration status when asked during an appearance on NBC's Meet the Press on Sunday, citing an active case. The 38-year-old Oropesa was allegedly told to stop firing a rifle in his yard because a baby was trying to sleep. The suspect then allegedly opened fire, killing five people, including an 8-year-old child, during the early hours of April 29th. Oropesa remains on the run, is considered armed and dangerous. In fact, the government has no idea where this guy was. This guy should not have even been in our country. He's been deported four times. Mayorkas needs to lose his job. Not only for this, but the whole slew of other problems going on at the border. This is an absolute joke. No other country operates its borders the way we do. Well, when you think of illegal border crossings, you're probably thinking of Mexicans and South Americans, maybe Haitians, but the number of Chinese migrants illegally crossing into the U.S. during the last three months of 2022 skyrocketed by over 700% compared to the same period a year earlier, data shows. Customs and Border Protection apprehended 1,862 Chinese nationals trying to cross the U.S.-Mexico border during the last quarter of 2022. Those are just the ones they caught, folks. Just 229 Chinese migrants were seized from the southern border during those same months in 2021. The amount of illegal Chinese migrants encountered by the CBP has been steadily increasing every month since February of 2021. The number of Chinese nationals illegally crossing into the U.S. this fiscal year, which kicked off in October, is set to eclipse the total number caught in the entirety of 2022. Most of the ones who were caught are single adults. A source from the Department of Homeland Security told Fox News that Chinese nationals are typically processed for expedited removal unless they have a credible fear of persecution if returned to China. Those seeking asylum are released into the U.S. on their own recognizance with a notice to appear for a court date for their immigration hearings. Well, that's going to be pretty much all of them. Since President Biden took office in January 2021, a record number of illegal immigrants have poured into the U.S. The DHS is keeping an eye out for potential spies, the source told Fox. Are you kidding me? China is moving the chess pieces into place. If you don't believe that some of these people could be used as sleeper cells if something goes sideways, 
with China, then you are kidding yourself. You are not facing reality. That is exactly what is happening here. The chess pieces are being put into place so that when things go bad, they've already got people on the ground in the U.S. Maybe that's already happening. I've talked about this previously, that a lot of these so-called disasters that are happening around the country, derailed trains, factory fires, all these weird things going on, seems an awful lot like a guerrilla war being waged. Cyber attacks. It's guerrilla warfare 101. Go read a book about guerrilla warfare. This is exactly what it entails. Our borders need to be closed now. Here's another thing you probably haven't heard about. The Department of Homeland Security has developed a app for illegal migrants to make appointments to enter the U.S. It's called CBP-1. During an exchange between Senator Josh Hawley and Sec DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, Hawley said, under your leadership, the department is marketing a new phone app called CBP-1 that allows unauthorized migrants to reserve a time to cross the border, making like making a restaurant reservation. How convenient, Hawley said in a letter to Mayorkas obtained by Fox News Digital. In January, the Biden administration expanded the use of the CBP-1 app, which has first been released in 2020, as a portal to Customs and Border Protection Services to allow migrants at the southern border to schedule appointments at points of entry. Mayorkas claimed that a limited number of people could use the app for entry, Holly in his letter pushed back against Mayorkas description of a limited number. You told me at the hearing that the app was available to a limited number of persons, but you also said tens of thousands of migrants have used it. And your department has pledged to expand access to the app in central Mexico, so even more migrants can schedule their border crossing, he said. That is far from limited. Holly also cited reporting from the Texas Monthly that found that users are not asked whether they are seeking to claim asylum and that migrants are not interviewed or asked questions about why they are seeking to enter the U.S. and are instead simply released into the country on official parole. Nothing in this new program requires you to actually seek asylum somehow. We decided to punish those who arrive at the border without the app who may be seeking asylum but we just let in anybody who may or may not have any particular reason to seek asylum so long as they've made an appointment on your Ticketmaster app, Holly said in the hearing. Just letting more people in here to come commit crimes, take advantage of the system. Marcus was also concerned about them needing medical care. It is not our job as a country to provide medical care to foreigners. It's not our problem. It shouldn't be on the taxpayer's dime to do that. That is not a reason to come to this country. You're just letting more people in here to commit crimes, to murder families, 
to abuse the system, to overwhelm our resources and schools. It's pure insanity. No other country in the world runs its borders the way we do, as loose as we do. It's an absolute joke. Oh, and everything's fine with the U.S. banking system and economy, right? That's what they'd have you believe. Well, today, regulators have seized troubled First Republic Bank early Monday, making it the second largest bank failure in U U.S. history and promptly sold all of its deposits and most of its assets to J.P. Morgan Chase in a bid to end the turmoil that has raised questions about the health of the U.S. banking system. It's the third mid-sized bank to fail in less than two months. The only larger bank failure in U.S. history was Washington Mutual, which collapsed at the height of the 2008 financial crisis and was also taken over by J.P. Morgan in a similar government-orchestrated deal. deal. First Republic's 84 branches opened on Monday as branches of J.P. Morgan Chase, which acquired the bank's $92 billion in deposits and $203 billion in loans and other securities. The bank's shareholders are likely to be wiped out as part of the deal. Before this year, First Republic was the envy of the banking industry. Its well-appointed branches served warm cookies to its clients, who were almost exclusively the rich and powerful. Its bankers lured in wealthy clients with low-cost mortgages and attractive savings rates in order to sell them on higher-profit businesses like wealth management and brokerage accounts. In return, the wealthy rarely defaulted on their loans and parked substantial sums of money in the bank that could be lent elsewhere. But that business model of catering to the rich became a liability with the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. These banks had large amount of uninsured deposits, that is, Deposits above the $250,000 limit by the FDIC. As was the case with the Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, First Republic clients with large accounts were quick to pull their money out at the first sign of trouble. Of course, FDIC made an exception for Silicon Valley and the $250,000 limit because rich people are special. There could also now be questions about the size of J.P. Morgan Chase, which has more than $3 trillion in assets and is by far the biggest of the too-big-to-fail institutions around the world. Regulators permitted the country's biggest bank to get even bigger. We expect this will be a Democratic focus for months, said Janet Seberg, banking analyst at TD Cowan. J.P. Morgan is so big that by law it would not be allowed to buy First Republic because no one bank can have more than a 10% market share of deposits in the U.S. It is only because First Republic failed that J.P. Morgan was able to step in. In a statement, J.P. Morgan portrayed that First Republic deal as beneficial both to the financial system and the company. As part of the agreement, the FDIC will share losses with J.P. Morgan on First Republic's loans. The FDIC expects First Republic's failure to cost the insurance fund roughly $13 billion, which is funded by bank assessments, not by taxpayers. Bank assessments that will be passed on to taxpayers. J.P. Morgan expects the addition of First Republic to add $500 million to its net income per year, although it expects to incur $2 billion in costs integrating First Republic into its operations over the next 18 months.
more corruption, more economic corruption. J.P. Morgan is basically an arm of the U.S. federal government. That's it. This is just the beginning of the nationalizing of our banking system. Or the total collapse. Or both. But it's not good for the economy to see these banks go down. Three banks have failed in a few months. That's more banks that failed during the 2008 financial crisis. What does that tell you? This is worse. Even though they keep telling you it's nothing. That it's a big nothing burger. All of these things going on just point to the fact that you better have your house in order. You better be prepared for whatever's coming. Because all the media wants to talk about is pronouns and sex reassignment surgeries and transgender people and all this emotional crap instead of all these things going on behind the scenes that could drastically change your way of life. You need to stay on top of what is really going on around you. Don't have your head in the sand. This stuff is happening and is going to happen whether you believe it or not. Don't have that cognitive dissidence. Just because things have always been this good, they'll continue to be this good. Because that's not the case. We're in the relative calm before the storm and that storm is coming thank you for listening to the behind the line podcast if you like this broadcast please like and share it please follow us on facebook rumble youtube twitter truth social telegram gab parlor and linkedin you can find our podcast at BehindTheLinePodcast.com, NetNewsNetwork.net, and on Anchor, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and anywhere podcasts can be found. Thank you for your support.